Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it. Okay, that one goes there. Okay, and then I come over to this one, and I hit the go live button. Preview. Okay, and there we go. And I'm over here. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that the world is treating you fair. That's all you can really hope for. I mean, I really hope the world's treating people wonderful. I hope that you are about to find a miracle in your stocking or you're waking up next to the person you love. I hope the sun is shining. The birds are singing. I have with me today a maestro of brand alchemy. Interesting individual, Yuri Schvetz, who's got a dazzling 19-year symphony in Seattle's design realm, having choreographed brand ballets for giants like Starbucks, REI, and Tropicana. Yuri's portfolio reads like a hit parade of visual poetry, poetry, poetry. From the stages of Hornell Anderson to the canvas of Lenly Design, his artistic notes resonate with the rhythm of iconic brands. Yuri, thank you for being here, my friend. I hope you're having a beautiful day. How's it going? Oh, it's wonderful just hearing you say that, George. I want to, wow, if you want to imagine, like, if you were to put all that in poetry that you just cited, you know, and you made made a 50-feet billboard out of that and put it uh, at the New York Square right in the middle of all this zoo. Wow, how would that speak to people? Like, I, 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 I obviously... I, you know, I'm a little bit more humble than how you depicted me, hopefully still, you know, but but uh, but I do appreciate the poetry awards, you know. Uh, yeah. You you said it in such a vivid fashion that it makes me want to know that Yuri that you just uh, painted so beautifully, you know. <laughs> I want to know about him more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that is the wonderful part of language and words and symbols and 
in perspective and behavior. And that's, I think that's one thing probably of many that you do well is you have a really unique understanding of communication. And that's one of the reasons I, I would love to talk to you today. You maybe give us a little bit of a background of, of how you came, who you were before you, I found you today, before you were the guy you were today. How'd you get involved in all these things? Very interesting question. I think I would have to go all the way back to my childhood when uh, I didn't want to go to kindergarten because my parents forced me to go for the reasons that I would be, for all other things, I would be drawing there. And it's, and I told them, guys, uh-uh, I, I'm not going because I hate drawing. Uh, little did I know that drawing will buy will become my kind of segue to to the world of fine arts first and then design you know <laughs> a few decades later you know so i guess i just naturally started doodling maybe i don't know first couple of weeks into kindergarten you know maybe the hate dissipated too at the same time i don't know and i never stopped doodling i did stop drawing meaning i uh, i haven't been uh an artist, uh, what is it called? Artist by trade, fine art, right? Because I, I have been that. I have been a painter b- b- before I became a designer. Uh, and I, uh, my wife still hates me for Yuri. You haven't painted neither me nor our child or our beloved cat. Uh, and it's a, such a shame. And I go, honey, I, I love you and I love all my family, including the cat, but I just don't paint anymore. Not because the the spark has evaporated. I just switched muses, and I switched them when I was uh, in my early twenties. It just I got way more fascinated with the world of uh, graphic design and a little later branding, mm-hmm. and and not that I lost any interest in fine art. You know, I still go to galleries and museums, and I love listening to podcasts about great artists. Of all sorts, but I don't feel the need to to pick up a brush and do something with the brush or traditional tools. You know, obviously, you know, since I'm in design, I, I do a lot of what's called creativity on demand, which uh, you know involves all sorts of graphic output, right? You know, sometimes it's illustration that looks very traditional. Other times it would be something crazy, future is back type of thing, and it's all you know, creative and it's something that I express through, through, you know, through images and words, but it's not a traditional form of communication as it was for me, for my life prior, you know, prior to design. The first time I designed something without knowing that I'm designing is when, so I kind of grew up in a rough neighborhood and most of my, it was in the eighties. So when I was in my early teens, uh, most of my friends were metalheads, right? So they they loved heavy metal and trash metal and speed metal and all this Siren Maiden there and Megadeth here. And I hated it religiously. I was a little bit more like, you know, this, I don't know. Now you'd probably call it metrosexual or something. I was <laughs> in the new wave and, you know, aha was my weapon of choice because it was melodic, beautiful and different. But these guys didn't necessarily bully me or hate me for being different. They thought, oh, this guy can draw. 
How about, you know, you don't, you don't subscribe in our belief systems about all those amazing metal bands, but how about you paint, paint the shit on our leather jackets? <laughs> and, and you know what, we might even pay you. How about that? And mm -hmm. I go, I don't know about that, but let me think. And so, you know, three days later, I'm painting all these horrific, you know, monsters trying to represent, you know, something like Iron Maiden yeah. on a on some cheap Turkish leather <laughs> shirt on a guy who I don't know how he got this shirt. Uh, and uh, I mean, the jacket, leather jacket. <laughs> and then I'm using oil paint, trying to replicate the iron maiden logo that was the first logo obviously i didn't create i just tried to emulate it best i could right and then this horrible looking but amazing for them and worship admiration monster along with that logo that was my informal entry into the world of branding even though i don't know is it branding or is it trying to hoax something with very limited uh, means and zero knowledge and also probably very little interest in the subject matter, right? But then, of course, you know, if you segue into the world of reality and so-called professionalism, you know, I, I, I did go to Cornish, which is a private school for, uh, you know, art and design in, in, in Seattle. It's actually just celebrated over like 100 years, um, just very recently, I don't know, a few years ago. And I was privileged actually to study um, in their former building that they moved recently to downtown, but they used to be on Capitol Hill. And it was an amazing brick kind of, I don't know, very British looking structure with just, I think it was just four floors and it was channeled after Bauhaus. So, you know, on one, if you remember, or if you know that Bauhaus the whole system was about trying to fuse the different forms of art, right? So they didn't distinguish be between fine arts, design, and other things. They felt that if you want to call yourself, you know, well-rounded, creative for men, uh, you have to practice everything, right? So we commingled with fine artists, uh, theater people, ballerinas, musicians, all in the same, you know, in this whole beehive called, you know, design school. And I love it. I still love it. Not that it was, you know, it wasn't perfect, but I love it, right? So that experience of being exposed to different art forms and also trying to chisel kind of your way and uh, what you can say with your tools, you know, that made me, I think, a better designer because I'm not just looking in. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about other mediums, other disciplines, you know, be it philosophy, art, mm -hmm. Psychiatry, maybe a little less, even though I've, you know, <laughs> well, no, I think psychiatry too, you know, to a degree, but yeah. maybe like subconsciously versus like studying something and taking curses and or grasping knowledge directly from, you know, folks like you, you know. So anyway, uh, I can run on, like, uh, ask me some, something. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's important. I think it's I think it's foundational to understand someone's mindset because what what I hear is someone explaining the way in which they use language, be it theater, be it art, be it words, be it symbols. You're explaining to me how you communicate through graphic design. And I think that's the story that we're beginning to see. And when I when I hear it, like it's beautiful to me. I I do see it as a as poetry, like 
wow, this is the first stanza. These are the first lines in which this masterpiece is coming together. And, and I think you have begun filling in uh, these ideas about behavior, perspective, perception. And it must, for someone like yourself, it, it, if someone comes to you and is like, You're, I, here's my product or here's my service, like you, what is what goes through your mind? Do you see that person's ideas? Do you see that person's dreams? Do you try to put yourself in that person's perspective? Do you try to see what they they're trying to get? Like how what is that relationship like when someone comes to you and is like, hey, can you help me design something? Like what do you see in that person and in that product? What goes through your mind? Um, well, it's it's a very it's 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 actually deeply it's more philosophical than people uh, realize right. it being uh, at least for me. Yeah. So there was this, I forgot his name, uh, he's European, he's a public speaker. And uh, he said once, and it really spoke to me and, and kind of um, sunk pretty deeply into my psyche. Uh, so he said something along the lines, uh, if you do not have soul injected and kind of infused into your venture, you will always be a product, but never a brand. And, you know, if you start deconstructing what it means, it, it goes right. pretty deep, right? So yeah. we all create something in the form of, in you know, in the world of commerce, we all create something as an output, be it a physical product or a service. And there's a lot of us doing very similar things. Whether we create, you know, new, I don't know, uh, beverage or we come up with some, you know, I don't know, in intellectual venture or, or, or things in the realm of like, you know, be it virtual reality or, or you know, artificial intellect and all that. But at the end of the day, most of the things that have been around, but people keep doing them they're not that different from one another you know with an exception of of ai right. being so new and, and yet already some people are getting tired of it because not all of this output is is positive although you cannot paint it as negative either but that's still more or less novel thing most of the other commercial products there's very very few differences um, uh, between them to begin with and then even if they ever had differences, so for example, take, you know, original iPhone and original everything before the iPhone came to being, right? That was a revolution of thought before anything, because iPhone suddenly created the need for something people didn't even think they have that need for, right? And it became not just a tool, it became an extension of, of people's hand, and then you know, everybody kind of tagged along and here we are, it, there is no, it's a point of no return. We cannot be without our devices. We feel like somebody cut your arm if some, if you lost your phone for like freaking three hours, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's unfortunate, but at the same time, it describes us as this kind of new community of 24-7 connected individuals or collectives and all that. But coming back to branding, when clients come to me, they come to me with products or services that are not exactly different from one another. But it's my job to tap into their inner selves to uncover something that is still uniquely theirs so that then I can bring it into the foreground 
and really give to the world something that is special and not fake, not something that's manufactured, not something that, you know, like people in boiler rooms kind of conceive, you know, whether it's like marketing gurus or <laughs> advertisers. I need to get deeply under the skin of each client to first a almost get almost like a kid get fascinated by what they what they do and then hopefully that curiosity and genuine kind of interest in what they do for the time being that we are connected and trying to grasp what it is that they do then i then it's a lot easier for me to position them and make them appear really not just positive, not just, but, but unique and interesting in public eye. Yeah. And that doesn't matter if, if again, if the product or service is almost indistinguishable because people, as we know by now, do not just buy products because they are either novel or cool or different. There's that novelty factor that always will surround us and accompany our actions. But beyond that, people buy into the, ideas right they 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 love certain things or products or services because people behind them they get attracted uh or 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 otherwise they either get attracted attracted by them or turned off by them right i mean the same thing you can that's why like tesla is so interesting is that at any given moment Elon Musk can do something either outrageously positive and amazing for humanity, and then the next week can come up with something that will probably kill 30 or 40% of his vivid, you know, tribesmen who loved him just a week before, right? Even though there's some hard, hardcore fans who will probably to Mars with him no matter what he spits out on Twitter or X, whatever, right? But the point is we're driven by either singularity of something or someone who has this hold, right? And so he and people like him, they have, that's why we call them visionaries, right? We, we, they take us further. Sometimes yeah. we don't want to go there, but they, they are movers, movers and shakers um, to a certain extent, right? And the, the thing is, is that, of course, like for me to love Tesla, I kind of need to kind of a little bit fall in love with Elon Musk. And every time he hijacks that positivity from my perception, inadvertently, I start liking Tesla less, right? I mean, it mm -hmm. should be not that related, right? I mean, because right. if, if after all, if he's putting out amazing product, for example, right? I mean, as a consumer, well, you should just appreciate it and, and forget about like his private life or his, his you know, that's, I mean, his statements here and there and everywhere. But I cannot turn it off because I buy the entire, I buy him and the car and everything that comes next as kind of branches from, from that, you know, from that entity visionary of Elon Musk, whoever he is. But I'm also willing to take him as, as what he represents, meaning that he's flawed, he's deeply flawed, and yet in some ways he's still an example for so many people because he is a leader and he's a pretty magnificent thing. He's just not amazing at everything and people have to realize that 
that just because he is very bright in so many aspects, it doesn't make him God and it doesn't make him guru. But he, we still can learn a lot, right? So on a micro scale, uh, that was a long segue back to, to every client that they have, regardless of their size and scope. You know, it could be a, a coffee shop next door with not a lot of money on the table. But if I get excited about, like after talking with, with the founder, you know, uh, of that coffee, how this coffee came about, why, and why should people care? Once I start caring, it's a lot easier for me to carry this, I don't know, sense of excitement or something that was revealed to me. Then I give it the most um, appropriate and relevant visual form, if you will, with the hope that it will also attract others. That's what it really comes down to, from idea to physical embodiment of that idea through a graphic form and abstraction, right, of that idea. So that's sorry for the long answer. <laughs> no, it's necessary. I, I love it. It's I think it speaks to the idea of the soul and you know really getting in the in the in the in the life of the idea. Like it has a life of its own that it takes on. And it's contagious. I it speaks to the idea of being contagious in this thing that people want to participate in. When I think of Tesla. I think of all the people that see themselves in a leader of sorts. Like, yeah, that's, I like this person's spirit of courage. I like this person's spirit of adventure. I do not like this person's spirit of authority, or I do not like that. But everybody gets an opportunity to see themselves as Elon Musk when they look at him and when they drive his product or they, they get on his, 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 his platform or something. Like they're participating in this contagious wonderfully or perhaps awful in both senses of the word dream you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's cool to get to participate in that on some level it's i and i can understand how is it is it draining is it time consuming is it exhausting to try to put yourself in someone else's dream like that and then convey it to other people how, what kind of toll does it take on you to do that is it difficult is it fun is it hard is it easy um it's not necessarily hard. It can be a little bit more exhausting if I don't know the subject matter well enough, right? right? So as a consumer, you know, it's a lot easier for me, for example, to design, let's say, something in, in the realm of, let's say, food and beverage, right? Because mm -hmm. here I, I easily put on two hats. I am a branding expert. But I'm also a guy who is either going to drink your liquor or I'm going to hate it. I'm going to tell my friends that, uh-uh, don't go there, right? So you better have a good product to begin with, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's e that's a lot easier because then your previous experiences help you and just you being there, you know, sharing this piece of earth with others, you know, you can gain a lot of knowledge just walking the earth. However, with some other fields, especially in the realm of, let's say, you know, when I, I like a few years ago, I, I've branded a company that co was called, they actually, since then, they changed the name. It was called X, uh, Exxon VR. That was a time when VR was becoming this Great. big new thing. Uh, and I had no, I had zero knowledge about VR and zero interest, coincidentally, right? So, of course, then it puts you a little bit more on your toes because, A, you have to do more research, you have to dig a little deeper. You can't just rely on your intuitions. 
you know, previous knowledge, you really have to reveal yourself and to yourself that, wow, you know nothing about it. And you better, you know, have a little bit more grasp here before you can start making either intelligent or then graphic uh, decisions on your client's behalf so that they ring true, right? So I wouldn't call it draining, but but yet, but yet some, some projects, of course, take more from you just physically because of the amount of hours and sometimes days you need to spend on just research, right. like trying to understand the nature of the beast, if you will, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I argue that if you don't do that, because, you know, there's some designers that they choose certain industries where, let's just say, they would swim more comfortably because mm -hmm. it's either second nature or let's say, let's just say, if you are an avid outdoorsman, right, for you to design something for REI would be a second nature right? right you probably do it in your eyes closed right <laughs> well guess what when i did rei not only it's safe to save now because it's been many many years <laughs> but what people don't know is that it was my very first branding project on this scale right was i horrified i think i was either too young or too stupid to be horrified because if i did I probably just say, guys, I, I cannot do anything here. You should teach me how to. But luckily, A, I had an amazing boss at the time, David Lamley, who also happened to be, you know, that he had to have experience on me and years of experience on me. And he was, in a way, my mentor. And, and there was only two of us at the time. And two of us, me and him, we conceived that new rebrand manifestation of very, like it was, a, you know, Seattle's darling. I mean, yeah. If you were to ask me before that, I probably wouldn't even know that REI was headquartered in Seattle because I cared very little about uh, camping. I, I hate to be in a tent. I probably was in a tent maybe two twice in my life. Both times I regret it. I'm, I'm a through and through city child. But guess what? When, when you put in that position, when you know little about that world, and then you just start exploring various rabbit holes to get your way ways in. You start enjoying the ride and the process because what I never lacked is is the curiosity, you know. Mm -hmm. Because I am led by 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 curiosity since the childhood. That's what keeps me on my toes because I never proclaim to be an expert in everything. And, and then there's that desire to always learn something new that then benefits either particular project or particular client or particular graphic output, uh, because I can look at the world from, from different perspectives. Uh, sometimes, interestingly enough, I need that external force, meaning in that sense, it's a client, right? right. So guess what? After I've gone through REI rebrand, I've I've learned a great deal that I could then speak as an as an avid outdoorsman. I would understand the language, the gear, what they go through and all that, because I learned a lot just by doing and experiencing certain things. Um, and so I think those external, external uh, forces and triggers are very important. So designers who, for example, only choose something that's comfortable, right? Like some designers will be just designing, let's say, in the food and beverage department because guess what every designer on earth would love to work in that world like you know 
whether you're designing your next, uh, I don't know, cold press juice or you're designing your next, uh, I don't know, gear for, for a sport company or something. You know, like these are givens, these are fun things to do. But if you're just limiting yourself to what's convenient and what unknown, there's just not that much room to grow. And uh, after a while, you, you'll start getting stale, fat and comfortable, and, and you'll start losing the edge. And so I actually love the fact that I get to work on uh, virtual re reality assignment uh, one week or month and then move and work on something entirely different or like white color type of assignment here and in very blue color where I have to understand that person who works with their hands, the craftsman, who I don't get to hang out on a daily basis. I get to be either their friend or confidant or learning from, from that type of individual. It also benefits me even beyond the job, you know? So that's what's, I think, fascinating about my field because it kind of, I guess it makes me a little bit of a chameleon, yeah. but in a negative way. Like I absorb all the learnings and insights from every client I get to interact with, no matter how short, but but again, it's, it's not that short. I mean, my typical project takes at least, I want to say, a month, right? So that's full immersion. Sometimes it's so big, like the, when the scope is big and it's literally clocking in 40 hours, within that month, right? I almost forget that the world outside exists. I mean, some people can call it flow. Other people can say, Yuri, do you, did you forget that you also happen to be a, a father, a husband, and you need to feed the cat? Yes, there is negative, some negative yeah. aspects of that too, when you completely lose your mind and go too deep. <laughs> but the beauty of it though, is that that level of full immersion it's kind of rare. So when you get to to that truth that you're digging into, it shows in your output. Because if you if you sidestep or shortchange the process and get less hours in the research or just trying to understand that, like you know how how many ways you can skin skin that that cat, mm -hmm. then you end up with very um, convoluted solutions. Because then uh, you just essentially end up repeating the same formulas, right? And I try to avoid that as much as possible as a designer. Sometimes it's unavoidable because certain solutions, they're already in your head and they're popping first. That's why I always tell younger designers, guys, the first solutions for the most part you come up, come up with is 99%. This will be trashed because it's cliches that overpopulate populate our brain. And we just access something that's a either already we already know about, heard somewhere, saw somewhere, Googled before and forgot, and that's why for the most part it will be junk. And you need to you need to still put it on paper and play with it, and then maybe you'll get to something. But don't believe for a second that just because you spent half an hour on a job, you know, yes, there's some there's 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 exceptions to the rule. I've known some legendary sure. designers who would doodle something on a napkin during the corporate meeting and that little doodle become a multi-billion dollar brand. That happens, but not very often. So, Yeah, it's, thank you. It's, it's fascinating to see the, the level at which 
true design comes to life. And it it speaks it speaks to the idea of growth. It speaks to the idea of storytelling. It speaks to the idea of the unknown. Like how can you how can you convey what someone's dream is or someone's idea is in an hour? Like you can't. Like you have to live that life. Like you have to put on that skin. You have to thoroughly understand what that product or that design or that service can mean. You have to imagine what it can mean if you want other people to fall in love with it. It's, you know, as a brand architect, how do you approach the philosophical aspect of persuasion through language? How does language become a powerful tool in influencing consumer behavior? Wow, that's a tough one. (laughs) I know. Well, I, uh, interestingly enough, I probably, to a degree, a wrong person to ask this question for two reasons. A, English is my second language, right? So that's one very important (laughs) aspect of why I'm not the right person. Second, as a designer, I am weaving my narrative predominantly through images and a little less so through words, although sometimes it's either it's not interchangeable but it is interconnected so oftentimes in my designs i will employ copy in the form of you know headlines right. or some statements or something even though i don't actively or officially promote that because i will oftentimes tell my clients guys you're not hiring me for the for those type of things for this for example if you want somebody to write you an amazing mission statement that has to be a brand strategist and a copywriter, some amazing wordslinger who will put your, in other words, they will have to understand what it is underneath you that drives you and makes you tick. And then they will use their own magic to put it so that it becomes poetry, right? Okay. I can do that, but that will not be a natural thing for me to do because this is not what I went to school for. But because I'm a thinking man, I sometimes do that. I just don't advertise that so that I'm never held accountable because I I say, you know, for this, yes, rest assured, you probably want to involve, you know, experts in language, right? Right. Uh, So I'm not shy to to put words uh, along my images. It's just, it's like I said, uh, uh, because, well, ironically, I also believe in, in the power of images and that, proverbial sense that an image is worth a thousand words, right? In that sense, like how do you create something where people can look at something and then have so many readings just by looking at your, you know, graphic visual output where there's only like one or two photos or illustrations and one or two words and yet it, you know, paints a whole new world for them. If it's, if it's, I don't know if it's just surface level and if it's just pretty and cool, it, it will fall short and you will fall flat on your sword, you know, very soon. It has to have some depth, right? So I, I, you know, I go deeply into each project so that I can uncover that essence behind each client and the project and words play a great deal. It just I'm motivated probably more by images first and then words naturally find kind of its its way into it. But sometimes I do take on a different hat. It does happen where I would say, 
enough with doodling let me just pretend i'm a writer and when i put on that head i'm almost like a method actor and i try to uh you know express the the meaning of something through words first and then i would redeploy them and see how they you know jive with 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 images and vice versa so it's 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 never like it's never literal it's not a literal process but it, it but it is fun um and uh, it, like like i said i just i wish you know because i always i'm, I'm always fascinated with those amazing you know like original like you know, uh, traditionally well-known ad man yeah. who who would create this amazing three-word headline that you just you know you just read it and it's it's nothing but poetry right yeah. like then you don't even care whether people will <laughs> will buy this product or not you just go wow how can somebody can put two or three words together and then it's it's something in, indescribable because again there is yeah. depth that then sublimates into something succinctly short and concise but to get to that simplicity somebody has to be very very well read and very complex and and people gravitate to that right um, right well do you see images as symbols or what for you what is the relationship between imagery and symbolism well since so I specialize in, in brand identity design. That's my forte. That's also my calling, I believe. Yeah. I love, well, first of all, from all the aspects and all the categories within the graphic, within the field of graphic design, right? Branding and brand identity is something that I call innately belonging to my calling so to speak more than other disciplines uh because it's a little bit more um what's the word i'm looking for evergreen <laughs> because majority majority of graphic design is ephemeral uh, ephemeral is that a word uh, yeah. right uh what it means is that every like if it's advertising it's seasonal right so people move from like you know winter holidays theme to a spring whatever right and so it's supposed to change all the time and kind of sync up with people's moods of the day of the months of the year all that stuff right and it's fun and games but it has a very short you know shelf life right and so as a result it interests it interests me a little less because i still wanna maybe that fine art is that hasn't completely died inside me yeah he wants something of more formidable and, and and more of a substance right so if you think of logos right that's what yeah. i do pretty much my most of my waking hours uh are focused around designing brand identities and logos logos are those symbols that's supposed to embody the meaning and essence behind each brand in a more simplified and almost rudimentary but not quite fashion that sometimes should be unilaterally understood and sometimes even without you speaking the language so almost like if you if you can't even read japanese but the symbol you somehow will react to and if it's done well 
you will unavoidably have a positive positive uh, reaction to the symbol, and then it will potentially will make you want to find out what this brand about, what they're selling, blah blah blah. So I do I work in the realm of symbols because at the end of the day, these are the signs that represent bigger ideas, but they have to be packaged in this seemingly simplified form. And just like with headlines that, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to achieve this three-liner that, that, you know, bewilders you. Well, logos are also a lot harder to actually do than many people assume, you know? So as a result, by the way, I'm not the most cost-effective designer because I, I, I actually try to create value, not just some cool thing that then, you know, just sit somewhere in the left, upper left corner of your website. I don't do Dimbots, not your, your website, I'm saying in general. <laughs> At the end of the day, some people may say, oh, why am I supposed to pay? It's just this little thing, right? I don't know, it's a little, no, it's a sign-off. It's something that represents you. It's better be good then, right? Because if it because if it sends the wrong impression, well, then you're gonna lose like God knows how many percentage of, of your buying audience. So it better be good. So that's why I'm trying my hardest to do something that makes meaning uh, and then potentially communicates can communicate this meaning to a larger audience that then helps to see this product or service. Not in a cheesy, phony, superficial, artificial light, but the, it's bringing something of essence to them, which otherwise they wouldn't be able to grasp or know or care, right? So that's yeah. easier said than done in my book, you know? Yeah, I think in everybody's book, it's it's important to understand the value that underlies images and the relationship it has to the way we think and the way we communicate. It's it, I find images and symbols fascinating. You know, when you start looking at each letter can be looked at as a symbol or an image. And that, that's an interesting concept too. When you think about, at least in the English language, we teach kids the letter and then they teach them a word and then they teach them a sentence and then they teach them a paragraph and then they teach them a book and then they teach them like a series of books, but they teach this linear way of thinking. Language on some level teaches people to think like this instead mm -hmm. of this exponential way of like, take this idea and then move this one over here. Instead of creating this imaginative world where anything is possible, we're taught just to stay in this lane and, and focus down that road, but I'm kind of bird walking here. Do you believe there are universal images that transcend cultural differences? Um, I believe so, yes. There's not that many of them because that's why we've been pretty much redeploying because there's uh, there's something called collective knowledge, right? Right. Uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, if you go all the way to like something like pyramids of Giza, right? What you see, you know, scribed in those uh, and engraved in stone is, is essentially logos and symbols, right? Right. I mean, they're, what are they called? Petroglyphs or something. There's certain yeah. things, you know, the eye says vision and that came from that guy looking into the stars whatever the gods and, and all this we are driven by you know mythology and, and ancient civilizations all these things that no longer exist but gave that gave gave us some initial graphic forms right yeah i mean the power like for example 
what's interesting is that sometimes of course it has a negative effect so for example as you may know swastika was not always a negative right. symbol right right but hitler hijacked it stole the original meaning uh i don't remember whether it was some indian uh, it was a, one of right. those indian i think it tribes, was from india right? yeah and so now few generations later um of course some generations already dying never even knowing never knew being able to even know grasp that swastika was not always negative right. but it's a, such a powerful symbol that it's i don't know how many generations or ye lightning years on earth whatever it will take <laughs> before somebody will be able to shake off sir dry from it and then give it back to the world for, for what it meant to begin with uh, and I don't remember for sure what it meant, but it clearly didn't mean annihilate as many people of certain type and all that, right? And so, but that also communicates, ironically, the power of branding, because, you know, people can talk about Nazis, but they cannot talk about Nazis without, in some ways, almost admiring the beauty of their uniforms, of the design, of the entire design of Sir Drive. Mm. was an amazing one of the first bewildering corporate identities ever made right yeah. and so what can be learned from that how you can communicate with so little like you know they use color red by the way coca-cola also uses color <laughs> color white you know and then they're all you know and so there's like very minimal forms and that one symbol that i every time i look at the symbol it gives me shivers because it's loaded with so much information and of course all of it is so profoundly horrific and negative that it's hard to divorce just the simple four lines you know crisscross yeah. something right that's that's your that's your logo at its most profoundly effective and profoundly horrific at the same time but if you bring it back to like positives that's why people gravitate to the most um kind of I'm, I'm 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 scared to use the word simplistic because it's it's not the right word to describe mm. it but at the end of the day when you look at at nikes and apples of this world they are extremely boiled down abstractions right yeah uh, and so and you know along with golden arches of of mcdonald's right like what does that have to do with burgers right Somebody <laughs> said, well yeah but these are like actually french fries made into the letter m or like golden arches well that's not how people think though they they just right. you know right it's it, it, it's 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 uh subconsciously you just connected to it because mcdonald's have been around for like not not that much uh, shorter than egyptian pyramids at least for me <laughs> <laughs> you know history you know and so in that regard it's ingrained in your psyche and you don't deconstruct it you just take it for what it is and it's 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 a powerful visual symbol that quite frankly at this point doesn't even need the word mcdonald's next to it right i mean you just you look at those arches and you either gonna say well, i'm craving a good cheap burger or steer clear from those guys because you know what they're selling right <laughs> that's a powerful in other words, little simple forms communicate a great deal of complexity 
because you always layer on, you know, collective knowledge and politics mm -hmm. and, you know, specific way of being in a particular country. And but the global brands have to transcend that because they have to suddenly communicate concepts that used to yeah. be local to a much, much wider audience. That's why I think it's a lot harder to design for global uh, clients. And, you know, Tropicana, for example, was, I mean, we had to work on like all four continents, you know, and tested, you know, products on with so many different types of people who appreciate different things, believe in different things, attracted to different things. It is a lot harder. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, we're all human. We have very quite a big number of shared beliefs that makes us very relatable. That's what yeah. we need to grasp. That's what makes certain things more transcendent than others is that when we uh, connect to the common humanity and then add a few flavors that make individual tribe different from another, it becomes a lot more effective, right? But that again, that means more research, more trying to grasp what makes us different and what makes us similar, right? So. Yeah, it, it reminds me of embroidery a little bit. Like on one side, you have this beautiful image, but if you turn it back around, there's all these little shortcuts and stuff hanging out and uh -huh. like- The last you know, behind. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. It's almost like roots, right? Like, like yes. it's, all, it's all messy. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's, a, that's an interesting way to describe, that's very, it's a beautiful, again, very poetic of you, right? So people hardly ever look at that because they just, you know, well, it's a mess. What what is there to find? But in a way, kind of almost describes this, I don't know, messy, nonlinear world of creation that there's something yeah. that is very intertwined, if you will, and not always polished, beautiful, and succinct. But then what you see then it has become or or given that precise boiled down uh beautiful graphic form, right? That then becomes this little shiny object that so many people gravitate to, right? Or proud to wear on their yeah. sleeves, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's it's fascinating to think about all the work that goes into that. And no one, most people get to see the polished product, or I like the way you say to put that badge on and be proud of it. But maybe what really people are doing is they are they are proud of all the work that went into it. And you start looking at the messaging, you know, when, when the true message of, of mm. that patch comes through, it's like, wow, that's what it means. And like, maybe that's where the power comes from, from all those images is. No, 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 absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I want to add, uh, George, that oftentimes when, you know, so when, when clients come to me or any designer for that yeah. matter, the prerogative is to get the brand going and become more, attractive to the audience that's like given and that's something that obviously that's primarily what i'm paid to do but i oftentimes have to remind them that branding is not just outward forcing mechanism to get you more you know more buying audience and to get you stand out more from 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 your rivals it's also inward facing because the logo that I'm creating, it better look good on your workforce, whether they're wearing this hat, you know, in a corporate meeting or a picnic with friends where they don't have to exemplify you anymore. So guess what? If your logo sucks, they're not going to put that T-shirt on or that hat on because 
suddenly they are allowing themselves to divorce themselves from the brand that they have to represent from nine to five. And guess what? If your brand is so sound, beautiful, and communicates something beyond the obvious, they will wear that in, in less than formal settings, and they will continue to promote the, this brand forward because that's that's the testament of how how much they as individuals actually believe in you as a visionary, as if you're a founder, and then how much they carry that brand on their sleeves uh, when they don't have to or nobody prescribes them to, right? Yeah. People don't think about it that way, but it's just as important. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yuri, you know what happens to me when I speak to incredibly fascinating and, and just people that think outside the box and that I really resonate with and I'm really proud to talk to? What happens to me is my time flies like by like that. And just exactly. like that, we're like at an hour and I have I have like really oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. And I, I normally have longer time set aside, but my wife needs to use the the, the, the workstation down here. I love it, man. I, I hope you'll come back and I hope we can have more discussions because I think we just barely scratched the surface of so much cool ways in which people can identify things they want to do and the meaning behind what you're doing, man. But before I let you go, where can people find you? What do you have coming up and what are you excited about? So, well, my, my website is eurekacreative.com, spelled in a weird way because it starts with my name. So it's Y-U-R-I, right? K-A, creative.com, not E-U-R-A-E-K-A, <laughs> but it has the same origins, right? That's like yeah. a little bit of a double entendre there. Love it. Um, so uh, you can always find me there. But I'm actually, more than anything, I'm very uh, active on, on LinkedIn. So, yeah, please follow me, find me. You know, I try to put a post a week. It's not always possible, yeah. but at least I strive to to be you know proactive on linkedin i love it you know it's it's a great audience very rewarding um and so uh we'll see what what will come there's a few interesting things that i'm uh interested in, in but as you know we never say about right <laughs> a fisherman never counts the counts the fish right. until it's done so thank you for asking that though yeah ladies and gentlemen go down to the show notes and check out the links and what you got to see today was merely a glimpse, a strand in the tapestry of the artwork that Yuri puts into his work. And I hope you'll go down, you'll check everything out. I hope you got to see a quick glance of, of who he is and why he's so passionate and why the work that he does exudes that passion. Go and check it all out. You'll you'll see what I'm talking about. There's the fine art. There's the 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 whole embroidery factor of it. But that's all we got for today. Look, Yuri, hang on briefly afterwards. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have a fantastic day. That's all we got. And I'll talk to everybody soon. Aloha. Thank you so much, George. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been fun. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that 
I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.